0: David Hanscom. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Tom Masters, with Dr. David Hanscom, a spine surgeon in Kiel and author of Back in Control. And our topic today is social isolation and chronic pain. And I'd like to uh, welcome uh, Dr. Hanscom. Good to have thanks, you on the Tom. show.
1: Thanks, Tom. Yeah, thanks, I'm, ha- I'm happy to be here. This is a actually turn out to be a huge topic that's uh, come up the last year or so. But, um, yes, yeah, I'm glad to be here.
0: And uh, tell us, uh, so what do you mean by uh, social isolation, and what's the relationship between chronic pain and social isolation?
1: Well, social isolation is basically lack of close relationships. In other, in other words, you have colleagues at work, people you know, as, hard, as far as having people that you can confide in, as far as close friends, et cetera, even within your family, why there's a survey done by Cigna, a big insurance company, on over 20,000 people in America. They just surveyed all parts of the country. They found out that people felt isolated and lonely over 50% of the time. I think the number is between 52 to 55% in every part of the country, every, every city. And interestingly enough, it did, actually didn't matter whether you, you were using social media or not. So it appears to be somewhat of a construct of society living in isolated houses, not a lot of community anymore, people don't go to church as much, et cetera. And so there's not as much community interaction as there was maybe 100 years ago. So it turns out that social isolation has become a very common issue in our country right now. The problem is, is that. They've done research that shows that when you're socially isolated, that you develop the same symptoms as you do in chronic pain. And there's a classic study done out of UCLA a few years ago where they had a computer game where the computer was playing catch with each other, and then the volunteer had, a, had an MRI scan on his skull or her skull, and then the person, the volunteer was the third person in this game of catch. So they measured the brain activity, and then what the computer was programmed to do, unbeknownst to the volunteer, is that the computer excluded the participant from this game of catch. So remember, this is just a computer, just a graphic, it's not a real 3D visual situation. And what happened right. is that when this person felt isolated from this game of catch, the same area of the brain lit up as in chronic pain. It's fascinating.
0: So, so basically, when you when you look at the scan, you would see this, the same pattern of uh, the same patterns as somebody being in pain, as somebody being feeling socially isolate, socially isolated.
1: Correct. And also, I mean, there's metaphors like, for instance, you hurt my feelings. Right. You say something unkind, you hurt yeah. your feelings. And so, when the brain processes sensory input, including words and thoughts and they're unpleasant, it goes to the same part of the brain as a physical pain that's unpleasant. And then the symptoms as far as ongoing um, anxiety, frustration, depression, ongoing sense of uneasiness um, are the same symptoms as in chronic pain. And then it's really tricky because what happens is sort of a catch-22. So when you're socially isolated, you'll develop lots of symptoms, lots of physical symptoms and mental symptoms, as in chronic pain. But when you're in chronic pain, you don't feel very social. Then a lot of the time, people end up talking about their pain all the time. So what happens is they end up bonding with other people in pain. And the people that they used to enjoy that are out living their life and doing creative things, they basically drive those people away. So you get this catch-22 going of really driving friends and family away by discussing your pain all the time, And it's understandable because the impact of chronic pain on a person's life is just brutal. In fact, they've actually documented that the impact of chronic pain on a person's life and lifestyle is equivalent to terminal cancer. It's a big deal.
0: Wow. And why do you you think uh, there's such this deep need for a human connection uh, that extends even into the realm of chronic pain?
1: Well, what happened is that, you know, there's been – Homo sapiens have been on this planet for millions of years, and they actually didn't thrive very well because it took so much metabolic energy to run the nervous system. So it takes about 25% of our metabolic energy to run the brain, as opposed to animals for about 2 or 3%. So Homo sapiens didn't compete very well on this planet until about 70,000 years ago when we started to develop language. And I'm using the reference to this book, Sapiens, which is a wonderful book on the evolution of, of humanity. And so what happens is that Human consciousness started with language. They call it the cognitive revolution. So then, the, as people started to cooperate with each other and became tribal, the species that could talk to each other and became tribal became the dominant species. So, what happened over 70,000 years, we went from being literally almost the lowest on the food chain to becoming the dominant species, really dominating the planet, obviously. But it's, all, it's all based around language and human connection. So it turns out that human connection is right next to air, food, and water as far as a basic human need. And when that need isn't met, why? Well, it's a very intense sensation. The reason why I know that is that when I was, I was, as you know, I was in chronic pain myself for about 15 years, and for about seven of those years, I became very socially isolated. And it was crushing. I mean, when I talk to my patients, same thing. When they're by themselves, not talking to people, they get to think about their pain more, and they don't have any place to go. Their brain just becomes darker and darker and darker. But just even not being in pain, just being socially isolated, I think is one of the most worst things that I've ever experienced in my life. I had no idea how crushing it was. And I'm a social person, and I still became socially isolated. It was unbelievable. So, the, so human connection is a deep need, and the deeper the need – I'm sorry, the deeper the connection, the better. So, of course, it occurs with your family, both your partners and your kids. So the deeper the need, the better. Unfortunately, the deeper the connection, the deeper the triggers. In other words, the, the interactions between humans become much more reactive when these connections are so deep.
0: And can you you tell us, uh, basically for the members of the audience, uh, can you define what you mean by a trigger?
1: So a trigger is something that's a survival reaction. In other words, something threatens you, and your body secretes adrenaline, cortisol, and different stress chemicals to avoid the problem. So you avoid the situation and then problem solved. That's how we survive. So anytime you're anxious or angry, you've been triggered. In other words, your survival... Mechanism has been triggered, the reason why it's so critical to understand is that the survival mechanism is about a million times stronger than the conscious brain. So anytime you're anxious or angry, you've been triggered. And what happens is that your parents interact with each other and obviously they trigger each other, anxiety, frustration. Also, they get along, hopefully, also. Mine didn't, by the way. But for many people, people do get along. But but. Your partner says something or does something that upsets you, and it's just a trigger, you want to blame the person who made you angry, but it's actually you. In other words, that person just set off a reaction in you. So what happens is that you have these family patterns that played out in your parents' lives that are now passed on to you. They're playing out in your family, but you're also passing them on to your kids, So what I've found out that the most common scenario, and this is particularly true, first of all, this happens in all couples. It's just particularly exaggerated in chronic pain situations because there's so much anxiety and frustration being in pain, and it just envelops the entire family. So what happens is that your spouse says something, and you become irrationally upset. It feels rational to you, but really is way out of proportion to the situation. And then you express anger towards your spouse, or your kids, and it's disturbing to me because it, we also find out that a high percent of parents are targeting their kids with their anger. And your role as a parent is to give your kids a place of feeling safe, nurturing an environment for them to thrive and play. And the metaphor you use is like being a big oak tree. In other words, an oak tree provides shade, provides protection, provides stability. But it's more like a drill sergeant mentality. And if you're angry and frustrated, somehow people feel like they have a right to take out their anger and frustration on their family. That's actually the least logical place to take out your anger and frustration because you have to live with these people and you like them. So why would you get upset at them? So the problem is, is that when you're triggered, it's not rational. It's just not rational. And so I am not guilt-free here. And so I... um, you get angry and frustrated. You feel like you're right, and you just simply react. And you don't necessarily see, you don't necessarily see the effect of your reaction on your family. So it's devastating to the family.
0: And and uh, physiologically, what what happens when you're triggered? I mean, what's going in, on in the body that sort of drives this irrational uh, response or this over the top response?
1: So any threat, whether it's a physical threat or a mental threat, is met with a survival reaction, which includes a surge of physical chemistry. So your heart races, your muscles tighten. You, know, Unfortunately, what the adrenaline does, which is part of the reaction, is shuts down the blood supply to the brain. And so you don't think as clearly. So it's just on the blood supply to the frontal lobe of the brain, as well as increasing the blood supply to the muscles, decreasing the blood supply to the stomach and the bladder, so, what happens, your body's in a fight or flight response, and it's only about you. It's a survival response. So, when you're angry, it's actually a little bit like temporary insanity because it's only a survival mechanism. You cannot see the needs of the people around you carefully at all. In fact, you can't, it's just really about you. So, the actions you, you are so convicted of and strongly feeling about are obviously very abusive in the eyes of the people that you're venting your anger on but the person that's angry can't see it. So you have this massive chemical reaction that's way out of of the proportion of the situation. And then unfortunately, chronic pain, you're trapped by the pain, and then you're trapped by often workers' comp or disability or some legal situation. You're probably trapped by finances because obviously when you're on workers' comp or some type of disability situation, you're not your own person. You're controlled and trapped, and so your anger becomes almost limitless. Plus, of course, you're trapped by the pain. So there's a Dr. Sarno who did a lot of work in this area, and when you're trapped by pain or anything, you develop what he calls is a rage. And then your body chemistry really goes up, and then your whole life sort of becomes this really unpleasant experience, but it's also unpleasant for the people around you. So then, of course, your family withdraws from you, so not only are, not only are you socially isolated from your friends and other relatives, you're isolated from your own family.
0: And You know what? uh, uh, So, and and when so, if I'm understanding this right, the the triggers it triggers a fight or flight reaction, a survival reaction. It decreases your ability to deal with the situation rationally, and then it's also aggravating all of those pain centers in the brain that are tied, that are so tightly tied to all of the uh, uh, emotional reactions so the two sort of right. reinforce each other.
1: Correct. So what what and happens is they've do done it? Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, what they've I'm done, sorry. done animal studies to show when your body's full of stress chemicals like adrenaline, they've done studies in animals and they actually can measure the nerve conduction of animals when they're under stress. And what happens is it doubles the, the nerve conduction which makes sense from a survival standpoint because if you're threatened, whether it's a perceived threat or a real threat, your body's on high alert. It's going to to increase the sensitivity of the nerves. And so what happens, your pain fibers become... Literally, they double the speed of conduction, so your pain physically goes up. We've done research on this. When people do get triggered, their pain increases quite dramatically. And that's a topic of a different podcast. But, um, yeah, the actual interaction... Predictably increases the person's pain, and when I ask my patients in general, almost to the person, they, I said, "Look, what happens to your pain when you're upset?" And they go, "It goes up," and it's it's very predictable. I mean, I get to experience this too. I have some bad knees. I get to still deal with this myself. <laughs> and when you're when you're upset, while well, you're you pain, you're you're actually physically feeling more pain because the body, is a survival response to increase the nerve conduction, increase the sensitivity to pain.
0: So you're, you're really uh, fighting, you know, if you're the pain sufferer and you're, uh, you're, you're really uh, fighting Mother Nature on this front, it sounds like some very powerful forces that were devised for survival are actually working against you uh, right. in these social relationships. So uh, how do you solve this problem? I mean, how do you overcome that?
1: Well, that's a key issue of this whole pain project in general is that you you don't – so first of all, when you feel anxiety, you're just feeling that chemical surge. In other words, anxiety is a sensation created to induce you to take protect- protective action. So again, it's a survival response. Is part of the unconscious brain, which is a, a million times stronger than the conscious brain. It's a million-to-one ratio. Now, I ask my patients all the time, I go, look, when was the last time you solved – anything in the middle of an argument. And of course, I mean, and nobody does. If you do, let me know how you did it, because you know, these are irrational. <laughs> it's, like a cosmic, it's like a cosmic mortal combat. I mean, it's just this it's huge, you know, your, your spouse or child's angry, you're angry, they're in a survival reaction, you're in survival reaction. So it's back and forth and back and forth, and it's irrational. The reason why you can't, talk this stuff out because it's a million to one ratio. So the conscious brain is just a fraction of the strength of the unconscious brain. And so we'll talk about this in the next podcast, but there's a bunch of rules around anger in the family that you just have to stop. So you, you just have to stop because when you're triggered, it literally is temporary insanity. And I have to admit myself personally is that I was you know, in chronic pain for many years and I came from a very difficult childhood. So my baseline was always being frustrated. My favorite word for anger was frustration. I never perceived myself as angry. I was just frustrated. So I was in, a, I was in this constant, adrenalized state. What's really sobering to me now is that most of the time I'm, inside I'm calm. I'm a very active, busy person, but I'm actually internally quite calm. So the first step is becoming aware that triggers exist then you become aware that you're triggered. And then you start becoming aware of the, of the trigger on people around you. So that awareness is by far and away the first step. And then in the next podcast, we'll talk about the actual concrete structure we put in place to actually help this happen. But the first step is becoming aware. And what's so sobering to me is that most of the time I'm calm. And when I get triggered, I really can see the temporary insanity of it. And so there's a situation, then, then there's a trigger So I've learned not to take action while reacting. In other words, even though it's important not to suppress the trigger, it's also important to recognize that you can't take action when you're triggered because you just don't solve anything. You you know, anger is destructive, which it's supposed to be, it's a survival mechanism. So if you want to start engaging with these circuits with rational conversations, it never works. In fact, it's very destructive to continue the arguments. So we developed a set of rules around this whole process to simply just say, stop. And that's what we'll talk about in the next podcast is how you actually put this into action.
0: I think that's uh, something that all of our listeners will be really excited to hear because I know, uh, as you say, uh, chronic pain and and the social isolation with it is a, is a tremendous problem in the country today. And uh, as as you pointed out, the families bear the brunt of the anger that can come with chronic pain. So, I think having a having a, a rule book or a playbook to help uh, reduce that or eliminate that from, uh, from the relationships and prevent that social isolation will be something we'll be really anxious to hear. Um, I'd like to thank Dr. Hanscom for his time today and remind everybody to be uh, watching for our next podcast when uh, Dr. Hanscom will talk about the, the rule book for helping to eliminate the social isolation that comes with chronic pain.
1: Thank you very much.